The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, color reviews, and opinions on the television industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host. Dan with me is a guy who was very fired up about the return of The Walking Dead last week. My co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico, and welcome to Across the Airways. On this week's episode, we continue our coverage of the spring 2016 TV season with our review of The Walking Dead, two episodes of Castle, another episode of The X-Files Revival episodes, and an episode of Star Wars Rebels. We also have Michael's Supernatural and Sleepy Hollow reviews, and our sitcom section including The Muppets, New Girl, Modern Family, and The Big Bang Theory. Yes, sir. And before we get into all that, we're going to dive into a News with Nico section. Come out a drop in the Walking Dead ratings, which I think was due to get premiering on Valentine's Day. More Star Wars news. Some exciting new episode of The Simpsons. Get Pee-wee's Big Adventure movie. And the hope that we may get more episodes of The X-Files. <laughs> Walking Dead ratings down a few eyeballs versus fall finale. AMC's The Walking Dead resumes season 6 with 13.7 million total viewers and a 6.8 demo rating, easily and expectedly dominating Sunday night, yet down a smidgen from its fall finale, which did 14 million and a 7.0 rating. The exemplary episode was down 12 and 15% from its year-ago mid-season opener, yet up a tick from its season 6 average. Still great numbers for Walking Dead, and could have been down mainly because people forgot it was coming back or because it was Valentine's Day and people were otherwise busy. Star Wars Episode 8 Begins Production confirms cast in video. Two months ago, Star Wars The Force Awakens took the box office by storm. Earlier this week, the cast and crew were officially back at work on Star Wars Episode 8. Lucasfilm made the announcement with a new video that shows incoming director Ryan Johnson welcoming the crew back for another Star Wars adventure. Lucasfilm also confirmed that Benicio Del Toro, Lauren Dern, and newcomer Kelly Marie Tran are the latest additions to the Episode 8 cast, alongside returning performers Mark Hamill, Daisy Ridley, Carrie Fisher, Adam Driver, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Lupita Nyong'o, Domino Gleason, Anthony Daniels, Gwendolyn Christie, and Andy Serkis. Del Toro had previously been rumored, rumored to be playing a new villain in Episode 8, but it's currently unknown whom Dern and Tran will portray. Perhaps more intriguingly, the Episode 8 announcement video appears to be picking up directly at the end of The Force Awakens as Luke Skywalker comes face-to-face with Rey. We may actually get to see that scene play out instead of the traditional time jump between Star Wars films. According to Hidalgo, The Force Awakens Jr. novelization, the planet is called Octo, and it is the location of the first Jedi temple that Luke was looking for before he disappeared. Star Wars Episode 8 will fly into theaters on December 15th, 2017. Orphan Black moves to New Night plus watched Season 4 trailer. BBC America has announced that Orphan Black's fourth season will air on Thursdays at 10 9 Central beginning April 14th. The first three seasons aired on Saturday night, and according to Season 4's logline, Episode 1 picks up with, quote, Sarah returning home from her Icelandic hideout to track down an elusive new ally tied to deceased clone Beth, whose identity Sarah stole in the series' first episode. With the stakes higher than ever before, Sarah and her sisters band together to uncover the missing chapter of the clone conspiracy, following Beth's footsteps into a dangerous relationship with a potent enemy who holds the key to their survival. For a glimpse at what Season 4 has to offer, follow the link in the ACC feed for the Season 4 trailer. 
Fox wants to bring the X-Files miniseries back for a second season. Both Fox and X-Files creator Chris Carter knew that if the revamped miniseries took off with audiences, an order for a second season was more than likely. With the finale just around the corner next week, it looks like Fox may be about to enter negotiations with Carter, David Duchovny, and Julian Anderson to talk about a second season for the show. In an interview with Variety, Fox's president of entertainment, David Madden, said that the network would love to do more. Although Madden said official talks hadn't begun with Carter or the cast about returning for a second season, it's most definitely a possibility. It also is something Carter mentioned he would definitely be interested during an interview last month. Carter said that he wanted to do more episodes, but it was all up to Fox. He noted that he knew if they got the ratings Fox was hoping for, a second season was more than likely to happen. The ratings for the show have been more than impressive. The first episode of the miniseries drew more than 50 million international viewers and held mostly steady for the duration of the show's time on the air. More importantly, the show drew a 7.8 rating among the important 18 to 34 age demographic, landing just behind the premiere of AMC's The Walking Dead. Very good numbers. For me, at this point, I'm just hoping for a great finale next week and if they do come back for more it remains the mix of traditional monsters of the week and mythology that we got this season i know others want a full season if it gets renewed but i prefer a 10 to 13 episode run at most i think part of the success of the revival reboot has been the low episode count and making every episode really count think more netflix 10 to 13 model that also works on hbo while it's clear that the demand for a second season is there and while fox is on board to continue producing the show there may be a snag with lead actor dakoni who plays fox Mulder. Before this miniseries even aired, Duchovny told Variety that he would never want to return for a 22-episode season, but was committed to doing at least six. With he and Anderson working on other projects, there's concern that the two wouldn't be able to come back for a second season anyway. I'm not sure I want a continuation in this series without them, so I hope it doesn't go that route. Anyway, we'll see what they set up next week in the finale. Simpsons to air live episode with Homer answering questions. How do you keep things fresh after 24 years on television, especially when your characters never age? You try something totally new, you put on a live episode. Only when the show you're going to attempt this with is an animated show, it's a dramatically different endeavor. Following the huge ratings that Fox got for Grease Live, the network is going to go a similar route with The Simpsons. But what does a live cartoon even entail? This is how Fox described it. Quote, During the episode, Marge, Lisa, and Bart will turn the show over to Homer, who will take a break from stuffing his face to comment on the events of the day live during both the East and West Coast broadcasts. Fox will use motion capture to animate Dan Castellina, the actor that voices Homer, as he answers fan-submitted questions and discusses current events. The unique episode will air Sunday, May 15th, but fans can tweet their questions using Homer Live beginning on Sunday, May 1st until Wednesday, May 4th. In short, this is clearly a gimmick, a gimmick that is clearly going to work. I'm excited to see how well it actually lives up to the live sensation. At any rate, you gotta give it to Fox for finding something fun to invigorate interest in this series. Pee-wee's Big Holiday on Netflix gets full-length trailer. Pee-wee's Big Holiday is off to an imperfect start in the first full-length trailer for his forthcoming Netflix movie. Paul Rubens revives his iconic children's character in a new film that finds Pee-wee on an epic adventure after he's inspired by a complete stranger, played by True Blood's Joe Mangiliano, to take a vacation. Along the way, Pee-wee inadvertently crosses paths with a trio of thieves, including Brooklyn Nine-Nine's Stephanie Beatrice and Arrested Development alum Aaliyah Shawkat, sending him on an unplanned detour. John Lee directed the film, which was written by Rubens and Paul Rush from Arrested Development. Rubens and Judd Apatow produced the film, and the movie trailer looks great, and it feels like they actually nailed it. Unlike the Fuller House trailer, which looks like it's going to be pretty rough. Emily Blunt may play new Mary Poppins. There are two things everyone knows. One, just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And two, casting Emily Blunt in your movie is pretty sweet too. Especially when you're going to cast her as a beloved and iconic character. Variety is reporting that Blunt is in discussions to play Mary Poppins in the sequel to the role Julie Andrews originally made famous for Disney in 1964. The film will take place 20 years after the first in London during the Depression, with the Banks family again playing a central part in the story. The script would be based on stories from the P.L. Travers follow-up novels about the magical man. 
uncanny. I'm not sure we need more Mary Poppins, but if someone is going to attempt to play such an iconic character, Emily Blunt is a brilliant choice. I absolutely love her in every possible way. Blunt would be reunited with director Rob Marshall, who directed her as the baker's wife in Into the Woods. They will also be joining two of Into the Woods producers, John DeLuca and Mark Platt, and Blunt is obviously a tremendous actress with a wide range, which is needed to play the tough but much-loved Mary Poppins, and she showed her singing chops in Into the Woods. She seems like the perfect person for this role. However, reports at this time say only that she is in talks for the part and nothing is official yet. FCC rules you can get cable through Apple, Google, Android, and Amazon devices. This week, the Federal Communications Commission ruled that you can get your cable through devices besides your company's cable box. The ruling means that instead of having to rent a box from, say, Time Warner or ATTUverse, you will be able to get that subscription onto your Apple TV, Fire TV, Android TV, and Roku boxes. You still have to have a cable subscription, but the massive rental fees will be a thing of the past. What does this really mean? Well, it's going to give cable companies some competition and hopefully reduce the amount of money you have to spend every month. It's not a done deal yet, but this is the first step in what is likely inevitable as industry standards change and people are cutting the cord in droves. If you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know that I am an advocate for cutting the cord and believe that it is time to stick it to the cable companies that have been using their legal monopolies to gouge us for years. Their congressional lobbyists legally bribe senators and congressmen to keep from changing the status quo and are one of the stronger lobbyist groups in Washington. I, for one, applaud the FCC's first step in breaking those monopolies the U.S. government helped set up by allowing us to choose our own set-top box and use devices we already own for streaming services to also get our cable. You will no longer be forced to rent a cable box for each room or TV and will be able to use the Apple TV or Roku or even your PS4 or Xbox One to watch your cable once those device makers add the features, of course. Ultimately, this is the first step in many to come, but once again, a step in the right direction in the revolution against the cable industry. If only we could see meaningful steps in the cellular industry as well, I'd be a much happier camper. Ubisoft announces Assassin's Creed book series. Ubisoft and book publisher Scholastic have announced Last Descendants, a brand new young adult novel series based on the Assassin's Creed franchise. The first novel is set to hit shelves in September, with a second one planned for January 2017. Despite sharing a name and universe with the video games, the books will tell a completely new story, so even longtime players of the stealth action titles will have a new narrative to explore. Last Descendants will focus on a teenager named Owen who gets caught up in the ongoing battle between the Templars and Assassins. As per usual, Owen will be sent back in time to 1960s era New York and the times of the ancient Aztecs to recover some relics. We still don't know whether this story will somehow connect to the overarching tale being told in the video game series, but it would be great if it did. Maybe these books will become popular enough to warrant a video game adaptation one day. The Assassin's Creed series is my favorite video game series of all time, and I love the narrative stories involved, so you know I'll be reading these young adult titles as soon as I can get my hands on them. Look for the first novel, Last Descendants, to hit your bookstore in September. The working title for Ryan Johnson's Star Wars Episode 8 has been revealed. While it will likely be quite some time before we learn the official title of Star Wars Episode 8, an unexpected source has revealed the movie's working title, and it's definitely pretty unique. There have been rumors for a while now that the working title for Star Wars Episode 8 will be Space Bear, and Carrie Fisher confirmed that on Friday by tweeting out the photo of the logo and her famous pug, Gary Fisher. It's hard to say when we'll learn the movie's official title. Star Wars Celebration is this July, and that's certainly one possibility, though Lucasfilm might save the reveal for when the first teaser trailer is released. That could be with Rogue One this December, but if the studio wants to keep the focus on that movie, we may have to wait until 2017 before they release the official title. Remember, Space Bear is just the working title, much like Blue Harvest was for Return of the Jedi. And that's the news with Nico for this week. Alright, so let's get into the main event of this episode, the show that gets everyone Kickside of the Walking Dead with a new chapter in the progress of the show entitled The Next World.
A seemingly simple scavenging run proves to be very tricky when the group isn't the only one vying for the unexpected supply goldmine. Well, with this week's episode of The Walking Dead, I think it really, to me, showed the benefits of Jesse and her family being out of the picture. Because we got to see Rick go back to interacting with the characters we love, like Daryl and Michonne, which made me breathe a sigh of relief with the series' continued progression, because there's not that feeling anymore of the show trying to ram likable characters down our throats, like Jesse. And ultimately, I think that's the kind of stuff, or that kind of stuff this season, was a scare tactic to tell us that everyone is fair game on the show to die. I mean, we kind of always know that going into it, but that enhanced it even more. But I think at the same time, that's only going to hold off our seeking feeling that a major character who has been with us from the beginning is going to die. Dika, did you like this episode, going back to Rick interacting with the characters we classify as important and want to watch every week? Yeah, definitely. I think we were getting too much focus on the first half of this season on a lot of the new characters introduced with the Alexandria area. And that's not bad. It's just we lost a lot of focus on some of the classic characters, some of the characters that we've been fans of and really interested in in the first, well, in Daryl's case, the, the first five seasons of this series. Right. And they really really kind of dropped the ball in the first half with focusing on Daryl. I mean, we got a couple episodes where we got to see Daryl, but not nearly as much as we should have been. So I liked the idea that the first episode back after what seems to be almost a reset or a, a revitalization of the series after Rick's encounter last week, the loss of some of the Alexandria characters that were kind of annoying us. Yeah. I, I, I think that it was great that the focus was on Rick and Daryl for one of the major arcs of this episode. So yeah, absolutely. I think this was a good one to get back into showing us the focus of what the rest of the season's going to be and focusing on some of those characters that we absolutely love. Right, and I don't think, Gary, you were implying it at all, but I want the fans out there to know, I don't think focusing on the Alexandria characters was a mistake. Oh, no. I feel like it was intentional. I feel like it was, it was needed to get to know those characters uh-huh. to make their deaths impactful could have the effect on the other characters that we need to have to get the show to this good point that it's at right now. And we needed focus on Deanna. Deanna was a major factor in getting us to this. Oh, yeah, for sure. She, she even though she died, she saved Rick. She brought him back to himself and gave him a mission and a, a change in life. You know, and she saw something in Rick and she saw probably the potential for him to return to a good person and to civilize him again and make him a very strong and smart leader but also bring his humanity back and save him from being the governor. So I think that was her biggest contribution to Rick and the entire group because yes, she sacrificed herself and essentially lost herself lost, you know, she was killed and so she's never going to reap the benefits of what she did for Rick but her son will and those that she cared about at Alexandria that are still there, they're going to reap those benefits because she helped save Rick and now Rick's going to be this great leader that's going to hopefully be able to really make Alexandria what she envisioned. Cool, that seems like the intention. That seems like where we're, we're, we're going to go. And I also think we almost needed the annoyance of Jesse to get Rick to where he's at now at the same time. Yeah, I... See, Make him see what's more important. Jesse didn't really bug me as much as it bugged a lot of people. Yeah. I, I thought it was kind of thrown on us and just kind of like, okay, really, Rick? Are you... Really? Right. <laughs> I, I thought her kids were more of the Annoying. the issue for me. I agree with that. And the whole kid kind of getting obsessed with her and going crazy. Because I think that was more on him than her. Yeah, yeah. But that's not a problem anymore. Because I really like this new attitude that Rick is now exhibiting with. Kind of played music in the 
episode, joking around, kind of wanting to bring more people into the community. It makes us see him as a viable leader again, kind of more enjoyable to watch as a character. Because his crazy streak was almost becoming exhausting to us as the audience. It felt you were kind of like tired out with it every week. Because some fans were beginning to find it silly to a certain extent. I can't tell you how many memes and funny videos and stuff were put out there about Rick having his big rant and craving the work on around when he got in the fight with Jesse's husband. So, Nika, uh, did you like Rick's new positive attitude? Do you hope it will stick around for a while? Will it make this character easier to root for? With the knowledge that he's fighting for things he could lose instead of fighting because he was losing his promise? Yeah, absolutely, Dan. You're 100% right on that. It, it's so much better when Rick is a positive character that we can wholeheartedly get behind. When he was crazy and we weren't sure where he was going, it was really hard to root for him. I mean, we still wanted him to, to return to this character, to be this person, so you could always root for that. But it was hard to really get behind some of the decisions he was making. And when he was all about safety and was sort of losing his humanity, as I mentioned before, that's the greatest thing that Deanna did was help bring his humanity back to him. And we saw that in this episode. He was all about going out and finding new people and bringing them into the community, being smart about it, of course, but making right. the decision to expand their group, make themselves stronger because they they can do that. They need to do that. And that's the only way that humanity is going to survive and come back from this tragedy is by rebuilding society and the way to rebuild society is to bring more people into it so yeah absolutely i hope that this this version of brick is going to stick around now we know negan is coming and negan is going to throw a complete and utter monkey wrench into all of the plans that rick has and it's going to cause an all-out war i believe between the groups but the hilltop people are coming as well and we saw jesus in this episode and that is going to be a good aspect of finding new people and i i, I do believe that there's going to be some good stuff filming before Negan comes and ruins everything or right. tries well, to ruin everything. Well, I think, you know, if you're going to get on the level of a war, you need a lot more people. Yeah. So to bring in the hilltop people, I think it's a smart move. Yeah. You get a whole slew of people. That, that's the good idea for that fighting. And again, there may be a point where they're going to have to kind of make a deal, make an agreement with them. I don't think there's going to be fighting between the two groups, but I do think they're going to be unsure of each other. And there's going to be some growing pains that they're going to have to work through. Just like the group assimilating with the people in Alexandria. Yeah. Yeah. With the hilltop group. Yes, absolutely. I yes. believe I believe those two are going to eventually come together and, and probably be become one larger group. I, 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 I don't want to give too much away about what I do know about that story because I don't want to ruin anything for people who aren't watching or aren't reading the books or don't have any any knowledge of what's coming. So I'll just say that I, I there is a group out there. They're the Hilltop people. That's where Jesus comes from. But we'll leave it at that. And we know yeah. that Negan's coming. They've already mentioned him and they've shown some of his people. Daryl just blew the you know one of their party to hell. So we know that that's, there's going to be some sort of retaliation for that. They're going to find out about that and come looking for vengeance and so you can pretty much tell from that that they're they're setting it up so that the alexandrian and rick's group against negan is coming and i think that's going to come in the last part of this season right before the finale or maybe even in the finale and then next season jeffrey dean morgan will be a major focus of the at least the first half of next season probably all of next season well the big thing about that is i think if you're going to bring in a villain that big and that bad you have to have a force that's as good as he is evil right so we can't have a questionable rick for that story to work you're absolutely right about that and that's another reason why i think making rick more like almost season two rick yes and even even better than season two rick in the sense that he's probably back to his pre-coma 
personality. I agree. And, and hope. And we were harping on it last week, but it's a very important aspect of it. Rick is Rick's hope has been restored, and that's the greatest thing that could have happened for him as the leader. He has something to believe in. He has something that he wants to accomplish, and that gives him purpose, and it gives him a lot of good motivation and strength to be the leader he needs to be. So it this is good. Him capable of rising above an enemy like Negan. Yes, yes. At the same time. So I think that's a good move, and really what I think, what they did with Rick, and again, this is how TV works now, especially the cable business, because with these 16 episodes, really, Rick wasn't dark and crazy for all that long. That The amount of time that he went that dark could be equivalent of maybe one season, kind of handful of episodes, kind of big network show. Right. So the arcs are lining up. It just feels like it's been longer because there's a longer amount of time between seasons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But speaking of kind of bruising their marbles a little bit, Guy had fought Spencer, he had a son, lost his marbles by going out of the woods to prove he could kill a walker. And I thought Carl kind of lost it as well. Like he was almost suffering from post-traumatic stress, covered being shot last week with his decision not to kill K. Rogue Walker after his mistake to kill Dale in the second season. However, once it was revealed that the walker was Deanna, everything made so much more sense. Because these characters weren't crazy, they were just showing their humanity by giving someone they respected and in Spencer's case loved their proper rest after passing away. Nico, after we figured out what was going on, did you think this was a great example of people still trying to show their humanity in a post-apocalyptic world and how it led to a very nice card-warming moment between Carl and Michonne? Yeah, much like you, Dan, I was a little bit concerned when we first saw Carl out in the woods and the way he was acting. It did seem like he was trying to prove he was still the same guy, but was obviously off a little bit. But once we saw that it was Deanna, I kind of understood what he was getting at and why he was acting different. He'd gone through a trauma and I think it changed his perspective a little bit. He realized that we have to honor and have to take care of those that we loved, even if they become walkers. We need to go out and we need to end them being walkers, but then we need to, you know, really respect them, give them a proper burial and things like that, because that's the only way that we can continue to be ourselves and we can maintain our humanity. I think much like Rick has had a resurgence and a return to hope, I think Carl's sort of going through his own version of that. And his explanation and that moment he had with Michonne saying, you know, I love you and I would have done this for you was very, was, you know, very heartwarming and it was what we needed. And it pretty much told us that Michonne is his surrogate mother right now. And, you know, she's family. She is his family. We've, we've kind of been saying that for a while now, that Carl and Michonne and Judith are all family for sure, even if it, it, there wasn't anything rom- romantic between her and Rick. There was definitely love, love of family. And then, right. you know, obviously we got something at the end of the episode that we'll talk about later. I was very impressed with the way they did this storyline to keep us interested in it. Where there was this kind of nervousness, something was off, go wrong, or somebody was going to do something stupid. Right, exactly. With with us not seeing Deanna until we absolutely needed to. That was a great way to tell a B story, I thought. They had to keep us interested because there were things that kept us guessing. Yeah. Again, and for a while, I thought, okay, Edith's right here. She said, you lost it. I'm leaving, you know, kind of thing. So I thought Carl was the one in the wrong with all that situation. Because then when I found out that it was Deanna, I was like, oh, okay, it's Edith who still has the problem. Because that show that she's still, she's still hardened. Yeah, I thought it was actually the, I can't ever remember his name, but the older boy, Jesse's boy, come back. Oh, yes. Yeah. I thought about that too. So I thought Carl was wasn't going to kill him because he wanted him to remain a walker and like it was sort of like a revenge sort of plot I thought that was going to come back to bite us much like you mentioned in season two where Carl makes a mistake and it ends up killing
killing Dale. I thought maybe we were going to have a replay of that. And I'm actually glad that it wasn't that. I'm really happy that he's not going to make a stupid mistake like that. It, it was something more that this might have been a little bit stupid, but his heart was in the right place. And as you said, it was a way of showing his humanity coming back or staying and him, I would say, coming back because for a while there, he was really dark and hardened, like you said about Enid. And she's probably still there, but I think... I think Maggie's working on her. I think Glenn made that initial chip into her exterior, hard exterior, and now Maggie's going to try and, like, water, get in there in the cracks and start breaking it down from inside. So yeah. I think we're going to see a change in Enid as well. Yeah, again, it's going to be a slow burn thing, but that's yep. ultimately where we're going with that. And yeah, I liked how they did it, and I really commend this show. I mean, it gets in, in danger of doing it, but they never go all the way with a retread. Yes, yes. They always do things differently or take it a different way. They get close to making it to say that they deviate to keep it interesting, which I really like. Now, with the next part, I'll openly admit, I got very angry at the Walking Dead graphic novel, or comic books, or whatever you want to call it, when a certain character named Glenn died. So there's things I forgot about the comics, because I haven't looked at them in a while, or I just didn't get there because I quit reading because I was so traumatized by the death of Glenn. So, um, my points here was, you know, what's the deal with this Jesus guy? I had thought, because I had kind of forgot about the character, that him having the name Jesus meant that he was a savior, because you know how the word savior goes with Jesus. So I thought that's why Daryl was skeptical about bringing him back to Alexandria, because he thought he was a savior. And that still could ring true. That could still work, because he did have that encounter with the saviors. He may think there's more of them out there. God, Jesus could be someone that he thinks fits the bill, because he is kind of rustic, good bearded looking, and kind of looks like a biker like a lot of the saviors do. So I get where that's coming from. So obviously, it kind of negates quite a question for you, Nico, about Jesus becoming a major character. He's going to become a major character. Yep. We know that from the graphic novel and other things like that. But my question here with this is, why was Daryl skeptical? Why did he change his tune? Kind bringing more people to the community. Kind of Rick told him he was right. Is this because of his encounter with the saviors? I think it has to do with he really looks up to Rick, and Rick was dead set against being going out and finding people. He told Daryl, "No, you're wrong about that. We, we have to be safe, and we have to be protecting our, what is ours and and who we let into our group." And then Daryl had two very traumatic experiences out in the woods. So I think right now he's still kind of shell shocked by that. I think he has lost hope in in other people because of what he's seen. At the same time, I think it's temporary. I think Daryl's going to come back around to the idea. It's just right now he's I don't want to say scared, but a little bit scared. He's yeah. he's traumatized at least by his experience, and he needs to get back to that hope and feeling that he had, and the idea that they brought us into the community and made us whole again. We need to be able to do that for others that are out there on their own. And I think once the Jesus character kind of proves himself, and and we figure out a little bit about him and why what his motivation was in this episode, I think it's going to open Daryl's heart again and kind of allow him to see the good in people again and see that there is potentially good out there and I, I think he's going to be back on back on the bandwagon of we need to add more people and make make ourselves stronger but also help other people at the same time and I think the hilltop people get general in addition to Jesus will show them exactly exactly yeah when I said Jesus I meant Jesus is going to open that yeah. up and then the hilltop people are going to make it make it when, 100% when he, when he sees that there's other communities that are good like Alexandria I think that will change his tune. Because I also think he's going to realize, go crap, these save your guys. Get that bigger group than we thought. We're going to need more people. So there's that too. 
Well, I, I think actually it's going to be when they start having interactions with the Negan group and the nihilists out there that that's when they're going to realize we need to we need to ally ally right. ourselves with this hilltop group and make you know we don't have to ne- necessarily mix our groups they can have their camp we can have ours but we'll be allies and we'll trade and open you know a, a, and have like commerce between the two cities and open it up like trade you know open trade between the two and become allies so if they're t- attacked we would come to their aid if we're attacked they would come to our aid that's the only way we're going to defeat a large group like negan's group right and that's what i meant by the saviors yeah i was referring to with that yeah because they have they did define themselves because the saviors right yeah they have they have but that's okay they have okay well no actually i'm not 100 percent sure if i think when daryl was out in the woods they did name themselves as that oh i think the people who were trying to get away from them might have dropped that name yes but not everybody knows that knows that or or it wasn't made plain right so i right Right now, I'm just calling them Negan's group until they actually name themselves as the saviors. It's, it's interesting that it's not that Daryl hasn't brought it up yet. Right, right. Well, I get, well, they'll explain why. I don't think it will. Yeah, yeah. But guys, for other future storylines that are going to happen, we had kind of surmised that it was coming, but Rick and Michelle finally hooked up. Because I think a lot of fans, including Kendra Lincoln's mother, based on some stuff he joked around about, at Comic-Con, was probably rejoicing because he is finally with a female character. That's not annoying. <laughs> Although, with that being said, everyone attracted to Rick dies. So that gives me a very bad feeling Michonne is going to be the character that we lose. Mika, do you think this is a big indicator that Michonne is going to die? Could this episode's positive nature give you more of a sense of an impending doom compared to the action-packed episodes? You know, I think Michonne's more than capable of taking care of herself, so I don't think it's necessarily an indication that she's destined to die. I think we've talked already that we think this show probably has one, or maybe at the outside chance, two more seasons to go before they probably wrap it up and focus on the other series and going into the Fear of the Walking Dead as their main show. I think because of that, it might be time to, you know, maybe start thinking that just because Rick and someone are love interests, that it doesn't necessarily mean Michonne has to die. I hope that's the case anyway. I really, I love the Michonne character. I'm not a huge shipper for these two. I don't mind it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think it's a good pairing. I think, you know, she loves Carl and Judith so it's a good good move i i just you know i wasn't so set on oh my god this is the only way it can go <laughs> no, i'm just glad she had something to do there's a reason to have more of her and i like the relationship she has with carl and i want to see more of that yeah yeah i kind of like that from the beginning i think if we're going to see rick and daryl going out into the field more michonne needs to be in charge of security at home and she needs to be what rick was when he was crazy at, <laughs> you know and kind of in charge of shoring up the defenses of alexandria I think Michonne needs to do that. She doesn't need to be walking around in a cop's uniform or anything like that. I think they just know that Michonne's in charge and she's going to take care of that. I think that would be the best thing. And I like the idea that Maggie's in charge of keeping yeah, Deanna, her plan going and keeping the city running or the town running. I, I, I like that idea. You know, she was essentially an understudy to Deanna. And when Deanna died, Maggie was able to step in. And I love that idea. Yeah. Well, they, they've got a lot of people that get to secure the borders. They, they they have Carol, they've got Morgan and other characters too. I think Morgan will be a key to securing the base at home as well. Because he was on his own and had a fortified location for quite a while. So that's another character. And I do like everyone's getting their own roles within the community. That's that's the good thing to have. And again, Michonne, she doesn't need a cop uniform. As long as she's got that samurai sword. Get a zombie apocalypse person with the samurai sword. Kind of would follow them. Right, exactly. I'd be like, they know what they're doing. They can handle themselves. Because that's the 
good thing to know about Michonne. She can't handle it herself. Yep. I think Lori and Jesse were characters that needed to be saved. Cause I don't think the new Rick needs a relationship like that. Cause I don't think it fits his relationship. Plus, the other thing is relationship with Lori was kind of goofy even before the he got into the coma. Cause the walkers came and everything. Yeah. So I think this is a true relationship for him that's healthy compared to the other two. Again, you're right. Maybe he is a step beyond what he was in season two of the coma because of this. So I like that idea. I think it's a really smart move. Again, I'm not like crazy about it. But as long as it gives these characters things to do with Barbara Sharon, I'm happy. Right. But again, some other people don't feel that way. So we're going to talk about that now. Get our listener feedback section. Yeah, we got a couple messages. The first from Brandon Mickle. No, 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 no. How can they turn Jesus into an asshole for the TV show? I know things change, but this is almost 180 degrees from the graphic novel. Boo, hiss, boo. They better straighten this crap out and quick. At least he retained his kick-butt kung fu moves. Everybody was kung fu fighting. No, 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 no. In the graphic... Yeah, no, 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 no. In the graphic novel, it was supposed to be Andrea, not Michonne, but you killed Andrea, the best damn sniper in the group to boot, and you have to replace Rick's love interest with Michonne. That Fs up the storylines. WTF. And they are replacing Sophia with Enid as Carl's love interest. Ick. Why do I feel I am being forced to eat my vegetables? I want to eat my cake. I deserve cake, damn it. I don't. I actually don't think that they made Jesus an asshole in this episode. So I, 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 I think a lot of people overreacted to this. I think they have it very set in their mind based on the comic books what the Jesus character is going to be, and I think they're going to get to there. But I didn't see. I didn't feel like anything. We kind of talked about it was kind of sort of a feeling out sort yes. of things. Like you have to be careful. You have to be, you know. And then it, the possibility of him stealing the truck. Well, maybe that was their supplies. Maybe that was the hilltop people's supplies, and they felt that. Rick and uh, Daryl were stealing, and so they were just taking it back, and yeah. essentially that's what was he was doing. I don't think they set him up as an asshole at all, especially because if he were a true jerk or, or something, he would have, when he escaped at the end of the episode, he would have either killed Rick in his sleep, or he would have just escaped, you know? He wouldn't have shot that walker either. Right, exactly, exactly. So I, I think it's fine. I think it was just have some fun with the storyline. You know, I, I think they're going to have a friendly rivalry maybe between Daryl and Jesus to make us like that. Yeah. So I think that they were just trying to feel each other out. Go get into this world. You've got to be defensive. I feel like they were doing the natural thing. Cause that makes sense. Cause I like uh, our friend Justin Navarro's opinion on that with Jesus. It's pretty funny. Yeah, and Justin Navarro said one of two Jesuses had to be a dick. The law of averages. I haven't read the comics, but I read up on his character when I found out he was going to be in the show. I read that he was initially mistrusted by the group, so it makes sense that they got off on the right foot. I think he meant wrong foot. Yeah. You don't exactly welcome strangers with open arms in the zombie apocalypse. Elodie Barnes said, I'm not sure yet if Jesus is a total dick. I am impressed by his skills. Kyle Jeffrey said, Jesus equals Nightcrawler. Clark Lawrenson said, it took me a second to embrace the Rashone, but I dig it. I guess we know why Jesse and her entire family had to die. Also, Chandler Riggs is not nearly as terrible of an actor as I expected him to be by now. <laughs> that's That's good. Jeff Jania sent us a nice little note about time Rick and Michonne got together. I think she'll survive being Rick's love interest. So there's your answer, Dan. I like the interaction between Michonne and Spencer regarding zombie Deanna. I believe Carl made the right decision in not killing zombie Deanna. And it was definitely something Spencer had to do. I do not read the comic books. And having said that, I could have, I would have shot Jesus and left him for zombie food. I have a feeling that he's part of Negan's group. Overall, I think this was a good f- follow-up episode to last week's. Thank you, Jeff. 
Jeff, I think you're going to get a nice surprise. Mark Schreiner commented, when was the last time that machine was filled? I think he's talking about the uh, vending machine. Vending machine, yes. Yeah. How fresh could that pop and snacks really be? And while, yes, it is the zombie apocalypse, have you ever had a stale Dorito? There's only so much your taste buds can stand. I love that. <laughs> he always treats an object in an episode. Because a character. I don't know why. But it's always funny. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was good stuff. I like it. Yeah, I just share that. Thank you, everybody, for your thoughts this week. A lot of them were quite hilarious, and I enjoyed them. And there's actually more that they said, but Brandon Michael got on, on a bit of a grit about Jesus. So I kind of paraphrased, got shared the highlights of his statement, because he's he's on a roll with Jesus right now. God, they're portraying him wrong. And I think he'll calm down in the next couple weeks. So that's good to know. So thanks, everybody. Good stuff. So with that excitement, comes The Walking Dead, and we're done. Okay, let's wrap it up talking about that. We're going to talk about a double dose of Castle, which aired last Sunday and last Monday as well. Good. So we're going to first start things off with the first part of the Castle double date that ABC was calling it. The episode entitled Witness for the Production. Castle takes the stand as the key witness in a murder trial, but then new info emerges late in the case, leading him and Beckett to rush to prevent a miscarriage of justice. This episode was the shot of adrenaline that Castle as a TV series needed, with Caleb Brown, the lawyer behind Lockstead, be the one who challenged Castle on the witness stand with a really great opening trailer. Because what was interesting about the whole th- about the whole thing, because Caleb Brown was right about the girl on trial being innocent. Nico, was this potential villain who came across as almost likable in this episode? I mean, what was he up to in this episode? Grab with taking this case. Was he trying to gauge Castle Beckett's skeletons as a team or try to prove they are still together to give the people he's working for an advantage if he's not the leader of the whole Lockset thing? I'm not entirely sure, Dan. I, I like the idea that he was using this case as a test case or a way of gauging his adversaries, getting a feel for the way they work and trying to find their weaknesses. And I like your idea that he might have been using this case to see what the extent of their marriage breakup really was to see if there was a need to go after Castle to stop Beckett. But I also like the idea that Caleb Brown is a complex villain and actually cares about seeing justice done in these low-level cases. I feel like him caring about his cover job makes him a much better villain, and I think he thought this was the perfect case to one-up Beckett and Castle, feel them out, and make sure an innocent woman didn't go to jail. So I think there was quite a bit going on in this episode. At the same time, even though this episode was about bringing the reoccurring villain back into the show for the need of keeping it as interesting, I still thought the mystery surrounding Caleb Brown's appearance was up to the show's quality standards. Okay, if this episode premiered when Castle was in its prime, they wouldn't have even needed a reoccurring villain to make us feel satisfied with this episode. Do you think this was a quality Castle mystery that probably no one watched because of stronger shows like The Walking Dead, Cadelton Abbey, Castle, Carrie That Night, can it be Valentine's Day as well? Did this episode, once you finally sat down and watched it, get you kind of back into the show? Eventually, Dan, yes, but I did not like like the courtroom aspect of this episode. I thought it was hackneyed and felt unauthentic, both to the show and to the criminal justice system as a whole. This is obviously not Castle's bread and butter, and they were trying to inject some much-needed intrigue and excitement into the show by switching things up. And the rest of the episode felt like it worked, and I really enjoyed it, but the courtroom was unnecessary drama for drama's sake. The rest of the episode was great, as I said, and I really enjoyed the mystery and Castle and the team correcting their mistake. But Castle returning to the stand, that crap in the judges' chambers, and the other BS they tried to pull in the courtroom it just didn't work it's not the way courtrooms work so i think they needed to do more work on making that a little bit more realistic even if it is castle you know but it was kind of this way to get people excited by breaking up reoccurring plot lines 
Because he, he already dropped the triple killer. Because then he talked about the amnesia plotline. Because it was almost like the people go, Ooh, this is all going to connect. This is going to be a big thing. Because it was just a shame. Say it for sheer shock factor. Again, yeah, it wasn't a courtroom stuff. But I still was entertained by the episode. But again, it was not the references to the triple killer and the amnesia stuff. I don't even think they really need to bring that stuff up because I think on its own, this episode was entertaining just by the mystery and Caleb Brown just showing up. I don't think there need to be more to it. Okay. Now, going back to talking about how Caleb Brown is a very interesting, complex villain. Back in coming to the conclusion that Caleb Brown's weakness because he wants to do good could be a voice for the innocent, just like she is, creates an interesting character and possible dilemma for her because I think his criminal activity could just about getting the power to step in on cases could maybe manipulate the law to protect people who he thinks are being treated wrongfully by the system. So to the point where maybe Beckett may question if he is a necessary evil, because it seems like the work of the network of public defenders, could this fictional version of New York City, could be in dire straits, give guys like Caleb Brown are not out there, like Ryan and Esposito kind of implied at the end of the episode. God, where it's entirely possible there's more to the story of Caleb Brown. Could he be someone who's secretly trying to bring Loxat down, just like Beckett? What's your thoughts on these theories, Nico? Because he's kind of like a Robin Hood type lawyer who's doing bad things to do good, or what's the deal with him? Dan, like I said earlier, I think it makes for a much better, more dynamic and interesting villain if they make Caleb Brown a decent guy who wants to do good. If he truly believes that what he is doing with Loxat is for the greater good and that his actions are justified because the Loxat program and everything they were trying to do with getting Bracken elected president and even using drug money to, to do it would be justified in his deranged mind or messed up way of thinking if he felt they were making the U.S. safer and a better place. We've discussed on the DC Nation podcast a number of times that many times supervillains believe they are the hero, that they are doing what needs to be done and make the world a better place, and they are the only ones who know how to do that. They believe that their way, while it may cause some small evils, will ultimately be justified in the end when the results make for a better, safer, or more stable world with them ruling it. What will probably make Caleb a villain in this is that he believes his results will justify his means, but he won't realize that his means are so bad there is no justification and he is in fact a villain. That is how I see his story going. He will appear to be a good guy because he believes he is a good guy, fighting the good fight, using any means necessary to achieve his goal, and getting lost in the process, but not able to see the evil he is doing, or he is able to justify it away, as I mentioned before. Can I agree with that? I think that's how it's going to go too. Crazy's father thinks he's doing good, but he's really not, and I think I really like how the actor plays it with such conviction. Like, you really felt, especially that scene where he came in and talked to Beckett, Ken kind of gave her a heads up about something on the case, that he truly, I mean, you just, there was something likable about him, even though he was a villain. He came across as very genuine and sincere about setting up for his cases. And I think that's going to create a very good and interesting conflict for Beckett, and I hope this is where our conflict sounds from, because this guy's motivation of being like, well, he's doing good here, but he's doing bad here, what should I do, kind of thing, instead of dealing with the romance and commotional crap that they've had going on for Castle. Right. I think doing this conflict is a way to turn back its character around. So stop it with the dumb, stupid separation drama, for God's sake. And even the joke. You're trying to make a joke out of it now. Because it's getting old and tiresome. So with that, we're going to move into talking about the next episode of Castle. That I think really kind of felt more like a regular episode. Because they kind of stopped making the called Beckett Castle separation thing kind of a, so much of a joke. I mean, kind of steered away from that and just gave us a good mystery with a very enjoyable guest star. So let's talk about the Castle episode, Dead Red. <laughs> Thank you.
A Russian diplomat's son is killed, leading Kessel and Beckett to learn about international crime and foreign politics as Kessel is tasked with keeping a Russian security officer busy. All I have to say is, guest star Nikki Tarbay made this episode because a Russian spy. We've all loved this actor before his appearances on Person of Interest, because his Captain Boomerang got arrow, because a cold-blooded assassin. But Kiri played a different brand. Come that character, coming across that cold came Russian inspector, Clouseau, Castle superfan, that made us crack up, could every scene. Because then at a moment's notice, he would switch into the assassin he played so well on other shows that I just mentioned. So I see why this guy, this character is so good at his job, because his lovable goof nature could cause anyone to drop their guard for him to strike a killing blow. Meaning, kudos to this actor for showing such versatility. Nico, did this wretched spy character make this episode for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. This episode of Castle was brilliant. This is the stuff we love about this show. Fun episodes with great guest stars that just steal the show. This was one of my favorite episodes of this season because it was fun, didn't deal too much with the Loxat case, and almost took a time out from the whole Castle and Beckett pretend breakup because they were forced by the mayor and police commissioner to work together regardless. That just shows they need to resolve this Loxat crap and put them back together, wrap up the season, and call it a series. But I did really enjoy this episode. I think this and Adam Baldwin's return to the show yep. were probably my two favorite this season. Yep, you're absolutely right about that. Those are the two best episodes of the season. Because they were just fun. Yeah. Straight up fun. That's all you gotta say. Because yeah, the concept of diplomatic immunity being thrown around on crime shows has gone a cliche. But I commend Council's writers for not making this the focus of the episode. Because establishing some decent character development by having Castle meet his stepmom, considering this case around a game of spies, could just making it look that way. However, even though their parents got the stepmom, was good to keep the lockdown mystery moving and to raise the stakes of the story, it still frustrates me because she came out of nowhere. Could I feel these scenes could have been better served if they could have got James Brolin back? But I guess that's not their fault due to him being committed to another show as it comes on CBS. So Nico, did you like how they threw other things into this mystery to beef it up in a way where it wasn't all focused on diplomatic immunity? Could is the randomism council just all of a sudden having my stepmother still bother you? Dan, I thought they handled it as well as they could with James Brolin being otherwise committed and using this random out-of-left-field stepmother is the best they could do. Sure, it would have been better to have his father as the one linked to the spy world, but since that is not possible, the fact that they have someone linked to Castle's father works as the next best thing, or at least I think it's the next best thing. I thought the whole idea of spies and the return to Cold War-like interactions between the Russians and Americans, or at least what it seemed like it was heading that way, was a fun twist on the classic US versus USSR story, especially when the Russians and Americans worked together in the end to get their man. I thought it was a well-crafted mystery with a number of good twists and turns, especially the Russian cleaner actually being a huge castle fan and that was not just part of his cover yeah no, I love that too yeah I, I just really love this Terabi did a great job as a guest this week I, I've liked him as a guest because everything he shows up on God, that's a guy that I'd love to see as a supporting character on a show yeah absolutely I, I don't want him too soon so that he can still be on the last season of Person of Interest and he can um, you know potentially did he die though I don't know that's what I'm trying to remember yeah he did no never mind yeah he did die he did die I was thinking that he was still out there but the last his last appearance he did die so that one's out but I do want him to come back as Boomerang on uh, Flash or be available yeah. for that so if the Suicide Squad movie doesn't prevent that I still don't think that that's a thing I, I hope so too I agree with you totally agree yeah so I hope that's right but anyway I thought the way this episode ended up as well really worked into making the whole Russian versus Americans plotliner aspect of this episode fun I just think could not be involved in a investigator also made just total sense because it's realistic to all these types of situations play out because I just thought the idea of the killer thinking he got away going to be sent to the coldest part of Russia beautifully fit the guest star's spy sense of humor because it was a proper victory to send such a great 
Street, one-shot character, Coffin in the Sunset. Clicker, did you like the outcome to this mystery for how well could fit the Russian spy character? Yeah, I did. And you know, in cases of murder, it's often that the host country, the US here, would ask the diplomatic country, Russia, to waive diplomatic immunity, and they often will for cases of murder. Not in television, but in real cases of murder. At the least, though, the State Department could expel him and ban him from ever returning, which is what they kind of went with in this episode. But in the old days of the Cold War, this is exactly what would have happened. The Russians would have removed the person back to Russia, and then, depending on the crime, punish them or give them a parade. I like that the Russian spy was able to give Castle and Beckett the satisfaction of knowing their man would be punished, even if they weren't the ones doing it. Also, living in that bitter cold of the Siberian wasteland is far worse than any American prison. So in the end, justice will be served. Yeah, that's what he said. He said, Gligals deserve justice. That's what I'm going to do here. Yep. Okay, he did it. He did. In a weird Russian way, but that was great. It made it fun, and I thought, great payoff for the character. So let's get now into an episode of the X-Files that uh, can be scratching my head. Again, where they're going to go, how they may wrap things up, but again, I don't think they may need to, thank God. And uh, I think, because episode started out strong, but kind of lost me a little. So let's get into the episode of the X-Files entitled Babylon. Scully and Mulder investigate when an art gallery displaying offensive artwork is bombed and need to discover a way to communicate with the comatose perpetrator to try and prevent a future attack. This episode of the X-Files turned out really strong with the interchangeable chemistry between Scully and Mulder and the young agents Miller and Einstein. I thought it was perfect to the point. Griff felt like Mulder purposely had Skinner seek them out to the experience of Scully seeing themselves from the first season before bad stuff went down and everything happened with William could make her fall in love with Mulder again. Yeah. Nico, did you enjoy the chemistry between these characters? Because much as I did, was it enough to make you interested? Can watch a good X-Files continuation starring Lauren Ambrose and Robbie Amell? Well, Robbie Amell for sure, but Lauren Ambrose is really hit or miss for me. I think it could be good, especially with the chemistry and interactions between her and Robbie Amell that we saw in this episode. I felt like their relationship felt very much like a Mulder and Scully relationship, yeah. so I think that's good. But I was not a fan of her sharing the screen with David Duchovny. I did not think that that worked at all. I'm not sure what exactly it was about their time together, but it was not my favorite. Well, it was very random. Yeah. On the other hand, I did really enjoy Miller and Scully together. Really. Yeah. I, I just thought Robbie O'Mell did a good job of playing a similar yet distinct character from Mulder. Lauren Ambrose's Einstein didn't seem to fit, but as I said, did work with the Miller character. So I don't think she fit into this episode. I think she maybe was a victim of too many cooks in the kitchen, but I think if they decided to go with an additional X-Files story and brought her and Miller back as the leads, that would be successful. So I guess it could work as a continuation of the series with these two, but not as well if there's going to be a mixture of Mulder and Scullery and Miller and Einstein. I just don't think that works. It depends on how they're thinking the series is going to continue, because we did get that news article that they're going to do that. Um, it's going to depend on if Miller and Einstein return, or if they're a major focus mm-hmm. with Mulder and Scully kind of coming in as like a provisional role. I'm not sure what they're going to do here. I think if you use Mulder and Einstein, your best 
expect because if you're going to continue X-Files with them as a lead. Yeah. So the article actually just said that they're in, they've started talks. There isn't anything in, in the works. It isn't beyond the idea that they're in talks. David had said he doesn't want to do 22. He did never wanted to do 22 for this revival and he doesn't want to join up for another 22. So if they're going to go a larger story and want to do a full 22 X-Files, he's not going to sign on. And I don't believe Gillian Anderson has the time with her other commitments to do that either. So my my hope is that it's going to still be David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson and they will do a 10 or 13 episode season next year and make it really good. If they go with Miller and Einstein and then occasionally sprinkle in Mulder and Scully as kind of mentors or guides or people that they come to for individual case help, then I could see it going a full 22 and, and trying to make it a full season. I, I'm of the opinion in all television, the 22 just doesn't work anymore and that 13 to 15 is the sweet spot and that yeah. most series need to go that route. We've seen in a lot of series that that just is absolutely great. Now, I just finished watching Luther, which is a BBC show starring Idris Elba and they did 6, 4, 4, 2 as their seasons. So, yeah. and that was super successful and it really, it, they were hour-long episodes, full hour of actual content, so hour and a half in the US and they were just brilliant and so I think more series and especially with the Netflix and Amazon being coming such a strong location for good content, we're going to see a lot of series starting to move that way and we may get that the major networks are doing a fall schedule and a spring schedule that have completely different TV shows. Especially Fox. Fox is the big one that's doing that. Yeah, Fox is experimenting with it because Fox is always Fox is always willing to take chances on that kind of stuff and they're a little quick on killing things and that's the problem with Fox but right. they are and always have been the network that takes chances. They only, you know, they, they cut an hour of their programming every night and they do their local news a whole hour earlier. So, I mean, they have a completely different feel than the other networks and that's why it seems that they're more open to experimentation like this and I think if Fox is successful in enough times doing it that way, they will see the major networks make that move as well. Yeah, and I think, though, if you're going to go with Miller Nightside because you're focused, you need to give an end to Miller and Scully's story. Yeah, and that would probably be where the pilot comes in. Right, and you say this is the next generation. You know, it's like what they do with Star Trek. Just X-Files, the next generation. That kind of concept. I almost I feel like if it's going to continue the X-Files name, then you can get away with having a one or two episode that just completely ends the Mulder and Scully story sends them off into the sunset and brings the Einstein and Miller character to the forefront and does it well where you don't have to mix them or you don't have to feel like you're losing out on that Mulder and Scully finale by doing it this way. And I do think it needs to carry over the next season if they get in the next season because I don't think there's going to be enough time in the next episode. I agree. I agree. And I think the fans want to see connecting for those two characters. I think that's where they're getting frustrated. Yes. I think they want more X-Files because they want more of the stories but I don't think I think they've accepted it once say Chris Carter Walder and Scully story has run its course let's move on because I think you're going to run into the issue you had in seasons 8 and 9 where they lost a lot of their audience by trying to bring other characters in because sprinkling Walder and Scully in the episodes they they tried they had to work so hard kind of making excuses for that, why they weren't there or why they couldn't be there so much that they were so focused on that I think it occurred a lot of the stories especially in season 8 so I hope they learned from that lesson could just wrap them up and then move on to these new characters. 
So, moving on for the most part, I always enjoyed this episode with the chemistry between the characters and the thought that the suicide bombing was going to set the stage for the invasion we think is going to happen next week, with the Muslim paranoia stemming from crisis in the real world being the catalyst. But then the episode lost me when they must have thought David and company would still on Californication, with the acid trip Walter was sent on. I mean, what the heck was the point? I mean, it was funny, and yeah, it kind of made me laugh, but if it set up something bigger for next week, like I originally thought, I would have bought it. But all it did was make me think the cigarettes was a waste of the cigarette-soaking man. Could I'm going to be livid if this is the only time we get to see the lone gunman? Nico, what was Chris Carter thinking here? I mean, he has every right to voice his opinions on world political issues, but I mean, it's still, there's still a question kind of this show is going to continue. So I mean, should he have maybe tied it to the mythology instead of wasting precious time that could be used to give his show, or the show that his name, that's his namesake or his baby a proper wrap-up? Dan, I thought that magic mushroom psychedelic trip was hilarious. Come on, that was great. Seriously, I was laughing so hard at that, especially when the lone gunman showed up, Skinner was there, and even the smoking man showed up in his hallucinations. It was all great. The fact that it seemed like he failed and even got chewed out by Skinner for his little mushroom trip, he was successful and communicated with the terrorist in the end, which I thought is the way that the X-Files should have handled it. Sure, I wish we got more of the lone gunman guys, but they're dead. So seeing them like this in a spirit quest vision really is the only way we can see those guys. And don't worry, Smoking Man is coming next week. He has to. It's the only way it's going to work. I'm not sure how they're going to wrap everything up next week, so maybe that's why we're seeing the News with Nico article about being a pretty solid possibility of another season next year but even so with you know we we were talking will that be Einstein and Miller or Mulder and Scully so even if it's going to be a continuation of X-Files they need to wrap things up in this next episode this episode I thought got awful preachy there at the end almost to the point where I wasn't sure if Chris Carter was attempting to get us to doubt God and put all his political beliefs into a single episode then he ends up the episode with Mulder apparently hearing the heavenly hosts so I'm not sure what Chris Carter was doing in this episode because it's seemed like Mulder and Scully were pretty anti-God, and then all of a sudden, Mulder's hearing the trumpets from heaven. So I just, I don't know what he was Maybe doing. Maybe he was stuck at some mushrooms. <laughs> still? Yeah, still feeling the effects? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was Chris Carter. He was describing what happened to him. There was a rumor that the lone gunman was supposed to come back in physical form because there is a comic book that brings them back. Right. So I must have gotten this information to get my hopes up that high. I don't know, man. I I just don't know. I I mean, I know that they died, and so he's seen them a couple times since in yes. sort of visions, but or premonitions, and they give him information. But I I don't know if they're gonna come back in real form. Okay, yeah. Good. That was the one thing that was kind of like irritating me, and that's the the problem. Like I feel like to me in my brain, I'm so worried about this getting wrapped up right, I can't enjoy it. Okay. And that's why I feel like if they're gonna go the outside of other route, they need to wrap up Mulder and Scully. Yes. Because I'm gonna be feeling that. Every episode can tell they wrap up that story. Because I think that a lot of fans are too. Because that's going to get tiresome for them. So I just hope they're keeping that in mind. Yeah. I mean, so to a certain extent, because again, I wrote this before I heard the news that they may continue the show. I mean, I just felt like Kevin's episode was over, right? And I just thought, the X-Files, oh my God, it's done next week. I'm going to have time to finish this. And I really felt Chris Carter was coming across. Okay, maybe this is part of just that message he tried to throw good at the end of the episode, making me feel this way. But I felt he was coming across as incredibly cocky, thinking there's always going to be another chance to finish his story. Because eventually, I mean, he had to realize, because this is something supernatural, sort of needs to learn. 
because that quality is going to be affected by quantity. Because he really is, in some regards, kind of the borderlines of ticking off the hardcore fans. If he doesn't come through with maybe decent appearances for the low gunman, get especially the smoking man. I didn't feel like Skinner has sort of been shortchanged in this return for the series. I was hoping he'd actually did an episode because some of the Skinner-focused episodes of the X-Files series were some of my favorites. At this point, it looks like they're going to have just stuff, maybe fighting William, the lone gunman, smoking man, the invasion, get a slated appearance of Reyes, which there is footage shown of her, get a one 45-minute episode. Get on top of that, this episode, which I think was meant to get Scully and Mulder back together, still left things pretty ambiguous between them. Okay, that's fine if this was a 13-episode run, like I feel like it should have been, but it's not going to cut it to get six. Nico, as your concerns come out the finale escalated because the writers didn't give themselves the time to fully come through, got all the stuff being brought back that they promised us? Can they tell a story that sends Scully and Mulder together off into the sunset? Can 45 minutes? Or, I mean, should this color story be told? Can we have the show reach the point where maybe their character story should be wrapped up? Yeah, you know, as I said earlier, I think 13 episodes is the sweet spot. And I think these six that they are trying to squeeze everything into, I, I just don't know if it, it was enough. And I don't know if they're going to be able to tell all the stories they wanted to tell and give everybody a nice, clean wrap up. And that's why I think that they need to work out a deal to bring Mulder and Scully back for at least a couple episodes next season to write their story off if they're going to do this Miller and Einstein stuff. I mean, I, I told you before, David had said he was not up for doing another 22 episode season. So 10 to 13 is the absolute most for another season next year if they're, if they're going to focus on David and Jillian being the focus of the, the series which I think is best anyway, but I'm not sure they can get David and Jillian even back for another season because I think that they have so many other commitments, especially Jillian. She's in two other series right now, or one one series for sure, The Fall, which is filming currently. And I think she was, I think I saw her name attached to another British show next year as well. So that's why I'm thinking there's two, but it may only be one. But anyway, so they're busy. They got other things going on. They can't commit to a, a traditional series. So I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to wrap everything up next week. I mean, I mentioned before, I think the Smoking Man is back next week, and we know Reyes is back for at least a scene or two, and, yeah. we've, and we've predicted they will somehow find William next week as well, and I think that is all possible in a single episode, if paced well. Now, I don't know if they can wrap everything up, though. I don't think the lone gunmen are going to be able to be wrapped into that story, unless they're somehow involved in helping to find William, but then again, it would have to be a premonition, sort of a, a show, them showing up for that to work, in that sense. I just don't know if everything's going to be able to, to happen next week. And, and and as you mentioned, I would have loved to see more lone gunmen and them to actually return in, in corporeal form, but I just don't know if that's possible. I think they need to. Fox needs to make a decision. Because of Monday nights, or even, you know, today, announcing, okay, we're going to do more X-Files. I'm hoping that they're putting out there that they're in talks, but they've actually made the decision already. And they made the decision before they ever shot the final Because I think people will react much better to it could enjoy it more if they bring that up going into it well how awesome would it be if they made the announcement by when they fade to black it says to be continued next fall or to be continued next spring or they even have a trailer yeah yeah exactly i mean they had something where it ends and they're like coming back next year you know yeah that would be amazing yeah exactly yeah i I would be down for that yeah so i I hope they have this in mind i don't see why they won't give them a couple more episodes or try to continue it because the ratings were huge I mean, it broke a world record. It's it's all about David and J- 
Jillian being available right. and Fox and Chris Carter not trying to suck too many episodes out of them when they're only willing to do a certain number, you know, and I think six was probably all they could fit in and get done in time. And then I think if they're going to do another season, it won't go beyond 10 to 13. Well, could you could you have David and Jillian for like the first three episodes? Could they move it over to the other characters? Well, that was what I was suggesting is yeah. a definite possibility because you do those thir- those first three episodes and it, or first two episodes or whatever it may be that wraps up the Mulder and Scully story and gives them a good ending, gets them to where we all need them to be for the show to continue on. And then you have just a cursory handoff to the next generation. And if, if you bring Mitch Pelleggi in as, and keep Skinner as the the thread that continues the, right. the two shows together, if he's up for it, I mean, if he wants to do that, and I think he was up for it this time, and maybe he'll be up for it again, uh, that would be a good way to keep them, keep the two aspects of the show continued. Because the same goes for uh, Bill Davis as Smokey Red, too. Well, I think he was Mulder's arch nemesis, so yeah, I think I think he needs to be wrapped up, and probably Mulder needs to see him die. Actually see him die for yeah. it to wrap up the, in the finale. Well, then you could see another, another character take up his fight. Yeah, somebody else in the new version of the conspiracy would be, could emerge, you know? And it doesn't even have to be right away. They could build to that later in the first season, first or 11th season. Would you buy it if it was Crycheck? <sighs> Or you think he's more of Mulder's Genesis as well? I think they need to create their own characters. Yeah, I think that they need to create their own. And there could be some overlap with the previous series, but I think they need to go and create their own stories. Yeah, the, the new Smoking Man, the next generation of Smoking Man. I think I agree with that. Yeah. I really think they should take a Star Trek Next Generation approach to this. Okay, great. So with that, we're going to move into another story about aliens in outer space. Got a big franchise that always knocks our socks off. Because that's Star Wars. We're talking about the Star Wars Rebels episode, Homecoming. When the Rebels team with a Freedom Fighter to steal an Imperial carrier bombing his planet, they find that the Freedom Fighter may have other intentions. Kara appears to be center stage during the second half of the season. Can I like it because she's a good character. Good darn it, females should have a big role in this Kara of the Star Wars universe too. Just like they do within the new trilogy through Rey. Okay, with this particular storyline for Hera, there was a lot of surprises. Could to the reveal that she speaks with a different dialect. That she was estranged from her father. Kara followed out with him. Which was unexpected for me because I thought her optimism came from having a tight-knit family. But as we find out, that was the case until her father became consumed with taking revenge on the Empire. Because I think that had to do with her mother possibly getting killed. Again, it was kind of implied, but not flat-out said. Could you go to this surprise you as well? Because did you think it served for a great Hera origin story? Yes, but the only thing I was disappointed about this semi-origin story for Hera was that we didn't actually get to see any of her in the past or her leaving home. I thought that would have been a lot better, and I thought the drama and conflict between her father and her was well handled, if not a little obvious that he was going to betray them once they boarded the Imperial carrier ship. With Hera being such a great leader, you had to know that came from somewhere, and we learned it was from her father in this episode. Also, with her being such a mother to the entire team, you figured that that either she came from a loving family, much like the Weasleys from Harry Potter, or she came from a broken family and was trying to make up for that by being the best mother slash leader she could so that her kids slash crew never had to experience what she had. In a sense, she had both, and I thought that was a great move because it really informed us how Hera became the leader, mother, and captain she is to the ghost crew. I thought that was good. That was good stuff, and again, that would have been interesting to see Curly Foreman stuff, but Star Wars has really never been built for or done flashbacks that I can think of. Yeah, I don't know. I can't name it 
where a flashback was used in Star Wars. We've had visions of the Force, but it's never a character having a flashback. So I, I feel like that would have been interesting to see, but it's just difficult with the way Star Wars is structured and done to do that. I don't know if it would have thrown people off. I think they could get away with it. I, I don't see a reason why they couldn't. Okay, all right. That would make sense. Again, I'm just glad we got some origin story. Yeah. For somebody, because we've been crying out for it for a long time. So yeah. that was good stuff. Can actually even the Rebel Dawn book, which explains how the crew came together. It explains parts of this, but not all of it. So this was new information and a little bit more origin story than even that book was. Now, with the Freedom Fighters, can Hera's father betray the Rebels? Can kind of freaked out a little bit that he has to come to the Empire. But thankfully, his betrayal was just about a different way of doing things. Because that makes much more sense. I think I was so emotionally invested in the shock on that happened. My brain went to the worst case scenario. Because that really wasn't the case. But since Star Wars is so much about a relationship between fathers and sons, it was a nice change of pace to see a redemption story between father and daughter. Nico, did you like this change of pace as well? Got that the Freedom Fighters betrayal didn't have a negative outcome for the Rebels? Yeah, as I said, Dan, I thought it was pretty obvious that this was the way the story was going to go. Hera's father is such a revered strategist that he could not do things anyway but his own. He felt that his mission to destroy the ship was more important than Hera's to use the ship to fight the Empire. In classic Star Wars animated style, it worked out so that both were rewarded for working together, and neither would have really succeeded without the other. So yeah, I thought it was good that this betrayal did not have a negative outcome. The Rebels needed a win, and they ended up getting one by working their issues out. Yeah, and again, I don't think it would have fit Kara's character with their optimism for that sort of thing to happen. Right. She needs to have hope and always be helpful, and I think that is why they went that route. It was good. But I do think that her father was a character that's a part of some book canon or mythology canon a little bit. Because last they've said Dula sounds familiar even before we met Hera. I feel like I've heard it before then, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think you, uh, I think you might be right. He might have been a Clone Wars, he might have been a Clone Wars episode. Because I do remember there was a story that took place in the Twilight Home World. So I don't know if I'm talking about Mace Windu and stuff was referring to that episode or not. I forget if Mace Windu was in that episode. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it was the one where Ahsoka, yeah, the one Jedi's, got, uh, for her friend that was also in her process, got trapped somewhere because they were pinned down by troopers. Got Mace Windu and I think Obi-Wan. But I want to say Kara's father were the ones that got him out of that situation. So I think that's the episode, but I'm not sure. Okay, okay. Now going back to Rebels, good scene had several compressive action scenes. But my favorite was when Gunsra and Kanan force pushed each other through that detention block, clicking hallway. This is an impressive use of force abilities. Got moved it away, I thought, really ramped up the action. This is one of the cooler things got seen done with Jedi and the Force. Got it was needed. I like to see the apprentice team up action. Because normally they're just fighting someone with the lightsabers. I like them actually using their powers and actually having technical maneuvers that they do as a team. That's pretty cool stuff. Again, I guess, Nico, were you compressed by the fluid nature of the sequence as well? I always felt like the animators were playing a video game where you could use force-powered combos. Yeah, you know, I really love that too. It was my favorite part of the episode. That seemed like something we should have seen before on another Master and Apprentice pair, but hadn't, and it made it even more fun. I love when they show things that imply that Ezra and Kanan have been training together outside of what we actually get to see in the episodes, but eventually I want to see more of those Master and Apprentice moments because those are some of the things I love the most about the Jedi scenes. Still, this was great, as was Ezra's first attempt at mind control. Yeah, that was hilarious. That was funny. Nice play on the hall. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Yes. So that was good. I think, I mean, see this thing with Star Wars. We've never really seen a strong master apprentice pair, if you think about it. Because the Obi-Wan Kanakin thing sort of was hampered by bad acting and other stuff. Because then even on Clone Wars, Kasoka was brought in, so there was more focus on training her and teaching her lessons than actually showing how Obi-Wan and Anakin work together. Plus there was friction. And then in the other trilogy, the original trilogy, we had the whole dynamic of, you know, Obi 
Rod getting killed so early in the, the story. So we've never seen Gamaster and Princess work together. Could be of like lines. So I thought this was a great way, great aspect to, a great exciting way to look at that aspect of that, that connection between the two. Could see a pairing that actually was a success. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, Nico, I know we've begun to fix Star Wars Rebels because kind of got it off focus with a slew of filler episodes as of late. But I feel that this episode got back on track despite not having Agent Callus or the Inquisitors get it because acquiring that carrier was a big victory for the Rebels. Do you agree that this episode got back on track for the same reason? Yeah, Dan, I do agree. And from what I can tell, we are going to get Agent Callus next week or in two weeks. So this was a good episode to get us back headed in the right direction. And if we get and we can get an Ahsoka episode soon as well, and maybe another Inquisitor episode soon, we'll have everything we want and need. This was a much better episode than the last two we've had, but in reality, last week's was pretty alright as well. More filler than this one, but still better than the Lasat one in my opinion. Anyway, I'm kind of excited to see where things are going. They've started moving in the right direction, I think, with this episode, and I, I don't think we're going to be too worried about things being too much of a filler going forward. I feel like this carrier was needed to build up a big battle episode. Yeah, I, I think you might be right. Because I, think I you just might don't be right. feel like they've had the resources, got enough ships to come up with to be able to do a big all-out battle like we would see in the Clone Wars story arcs. So I think we're getting to that and coming to that. And that's going to be the next thing. And I think this carrier may play a big role in making that happen and, and make what the writers, the animators, gun writers probably have storyboard possible. So that's what I'm going with. And again, like you, I'm excited to see where it goes. So with that, we're going to move into talking about a show that I'm actually really excited about seeing where it goes again. Because an interesting trip for Dean Winchester got a Nazi submarine. So let's bring in Michael to talk about Supernatural. And then he's going to come in to talk about Sleepy Hollow. Hey guys, Michael J. Petty here to talk to you about this week's episode of Supernatural, Season 11, Episode 14, entitled The Vessel. This episode of Supernatural was really, really good. As we travel back to 1944, Dean is stuck on a U.S. submarine that is destined to go down. Meanwhile, Sam and Lucifer hold out in the bunker until fi Lucifer finally reveals himself to Sam. These are the basics of the episode, but there's honestly a lot in it that I liked. Everything during World War II is really cool. We haven't seen the World War II era since the Season 8 episode with the Golem, uh, a character in a plotline I have longed to see again. So it was neat to see the elements from that episode as well as the plot of Raiders of the Lost Ark thrown into this episode. Every time Dean ends up going back in time, it's almost always just him who goes, with the exception of seasons five and six where Sam actually goes with him to the 80s and the 1800s. Um, but every time Dean goes, he always tells people from the, that he's from the future and always clues them in on what's at stake and what is probably going to happen to them, which is interesting because he always warns, is warned against doing that, but he always ends up doing it anyway. If I were any of those people, though, I'm not sure I would believe him for a second, so he sure just put a lot of faith in the idea that they'll believe in him. Uh, going off of that plot line, I thought it was really cool that the brothers decided to go back to their original concept that they had during the beginning of the season to use God's power to fight the darkness. The only thing that really can stop the darkness at all is probably just God. Um, since we see part of the Ark of the Covenant here in this episode, and since its power is now gone and drained out of it, I think it's very clear that God himself is going to have to be brought back into the picture, which I think is going to be really cool and really interesting, provided that they actually portray God correctly. Uh, as for the Lucifer story, we see him ruling hell over Crowley, and we see that although Crowley is beaten, he's not totally broken. I'm assuming, assuming he'll end up teaming with the Winchesters to save Cass and banish Satan for good, but I suppose we'll see that when the time comes. When he finally revealed himself to Sam, though, it was huge. I didn't expect the reveal so soon, but I suppose the writers have a plan on where the story is going to go, and we're, like Cassiel at this point, just along for the ride. Still, I was glad to see Cassiel fight back to save his friends, even when it was taking all of his strength. That is the true Cassiel that we all know and love. All in all, this was a great episode that, while it didn't really advance the Amar story as much as we'd hoped, added a lot to the whole Castiel Satan art that I'm sure will come to a head sooner or later. At least the brothers are now in the loop.
Alright guys, Michael here, back to talk to you about Sleepy Hollow Season 3, Episode 11, entitled Kindred Spirits. This episode of Sleepy Hollow really brings us back to last season as the Kindred Returns. This episode felt a lot like the Sleepy Hollow adaption of The Bride of Frankenstein, as we see the Kindred going on a killing spree simply because he wants to feel loved and feel human as we do. I really like this development, and it's kind of a shame that the Hidden Room blows up the Kindred and the Kindress at the end of the episode, because we'll never get to see him again on the show, and the Headless Horseman is never going to be able to get his head back now. Not that we really wanted him to in the first place, though. The biggest thing with this episode, though, was Abby slowly moving back into her old life. Between figuring out what to do with her time, deciding on if she'll go back to work, I mean, there's so much. Abby's internal struggle on where to go with her life is the forefront of this episode, and I think that was a really good thing, especially with how it ended with her deciding, okay, I belong at the FBI, this is where I'm supposed to be, this is where I can do the most good, let's get back in the game. I also really liked the development between Ichabod and Miss um, Corinth. That was really cool to see her again. I didn't think we'd ever see her again after we hadn't seen her in probably five episodes. It was good that that plotline was resolved, and it really does look like that they're trying to put Ichabod and Abby together romantically, kind of like they did with Mulder and Scully near the end of the seventh season of the X-Files. That's not something I'm really a fan of, especially in this case. I just don't see that romantic chemistry between the two at all. I mean, maybe they'll change my mind throughout the course of the show, but hopefully that is not the direction they decide to go, and maybe they're just deceiving us for now until they bring someone better in. All in all, this episode was really enjoyable. Nice little throwback to the story started last year that I didn't really know if it was going to be resolved or not. So, also, it was just good to be have an episode that brings Abby back into the game. We haven't really seen her really back in the game since Novus Ordo Seclerum, the mid-season finale. Next week's episode looks to be a good one. Hopefully Sleepy Hollow will continue to deliver. Alright, Michael, thanks for your thoughts on the TV's two supernatural shows and all your fun that comes with that. Good, now we're going to dive into bringing a Nikki onto our show to discuss this week's episode of The Muppets. Good title, Got Soul. <laughs> Hoping to make new friends, Piggy attends an aerial silks class. Rizzo, Gonzo, and Pepe fall under Pache's spell. Because this episode this week was really the Uncle Dudley show. It really was, as it sh- as well it should be. Because he didn't get to play Bridge with the Wellingtons. No, no, there goes Bridge with the Wellingtons. It did not happen. And we got to see Return of Gloria Stefan. Guys are just great popping out of the ice. <laughs> and then it's the baby carrier. Yes, I love that. <laughs> it's like Uncle Deadly is it's a mommy now. Because he feeding her ice cream too. Yes, yes. Awesome. I really, now I want Gloria Stefan, the real one, to come on the show <laughs> and meet Gloria Stefan. That would be awesome. It really, Uncle Deadly trying to, you know, I thought he was incredibly sweet the entire episode, but still was Uncle Deadly. Yes. Like, exasperated by Piggy. <laughs> just like afraid of her and like warning people against talking to her <laughs> he's kind of he's more than just her wardrobe specialist he's like the guard dog at the gate it's like you don't want to go in there <laughs> she thinks she can speak Spanish now <laughs> it's a nightmare but I thought that showing Peggy that this was her friend he didn't just work for her that he's the one who's there for her all the time turtle turtle yes. that and then Piggy not getting it when he tried to tell her and then like why didn't Uncle Deadly why doesn't Uncle Deadly realize <laughs> was like he's standing right in front of you <laughs> <laughs> Sweetums? <laughs> he lives all the way in Garden Grove, which is a long commute if you know LA. <laughs> Garden Grove is Orange County. It's farther south than even I'm from in Orange County, and it's it's quite a drive. So Sweetums is dedicated to his job, or really can't afford to live in LA. Dude, I really wish I could have seen Kirkle Dudley in that version of Knocked Up. The, the gender swapped Knocked yeah. Up. <laughs> it didn't go well. <laughs> we did get to see a bit of him as Cher and Clueless. That was fun. That, that was, was, and that the whole gang came out to see. It was like, he's behind the curtain going, we don't want to keep the three people out there waiting. 
And it was good to see Peggy finally got it, and I loved his motions to help Peggy. Yeah. The song. It was like, and she was really singing it to him. Yeah, it was, it was a nice moment. I'm glad Peggy had a come to Jesus moment. Yeah, or come to Dudley. Come to Dudley moment. And I love Ingrid Michaelson, so I was so excited to see her. I've been a big fan of hers yes. for several years. They're just putting on your like greatest hits list of musicians yes. on the show. Because <laughs> I had Joan Jett last week. Oh my god! Yeah. But and then to have RuPaul, who I absolutely worship and adore, she looks good out of a dress. The Santa underpants are great. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, it's just because it's January doesn't mean these things stop being underwear. Pache just drives me crazy. Yes, yes. Pizza. Yeah, he was fun, and uh, I think the best part of that story was the suits. Yes. Well, I got them out of a garbage bag, so that's how I got them here. <laughs> Bobo was awesome. Bobo's always awesome. You know, I always love my Pepe, but he wasn't quite as on today. It wasn't really about him, you know, having those sassy one-liners, but... The last three minutes were great with him, though. Yes. Interesting choice of people to do compressions on, please. Yes. <laughs> I'm a man in a suit. I'm an accountant. Good Barack Obama. <laughs> Barack Obama was pretty good. I hope the president was uh, was flattered by that, because I think it was done with love. Yeah, the Bobo at the beginning was funny, too. Yeah, I just... Phil, you know, like a Phil, only Phil. I was like, wow, you've got a lot of drama going on inside you, Bobo. You should have been kept. <laughs> And then Carl, like, having writer's ideas. He has a binder full of ideas. Oh, yeah, my God. for the psychic that's Yeah. No, it was, it was a really great episode. Probably not one of my, not my favorite of the season. Still solid. Still very solid. And as much as I worship at the altar of Kermit the Frog, this, it's becoming more about the B characters, so to speak. Yeah. Like, for me, it's like Pepe and Uncle Dudley and those, and Bobo and Carl and, and, uh, Chip, you know, and Lou, the flying fish, the throwing fish guy. It's really about those characters are really adding the spice. They're the, they're the pepper, yeah. they're the paprika, they're the, of the show. Whereas you have your, your standbys like Peggy and Kermit and Gonzo and, and Fozzie, but they're, they've almost, they're always going to be there and they're always going to be who they are. And then you, you just, you season it up with these other guys and it just makes the show so much better. Well, there's so much to work with. It's hard to fit everybody in. Yeah. And I like that, you know, they are doing a good job of make, keeping it adults, but also kids are going to like it too. Yeah. I'm feeling bad for Kermit. Community, it's not easy being yeah. time for him a little bit with, uh, with, with, with Denise. Yeah. It's not easy being Kermit. I thought he was going to whip out the banjo and start singing the song the way it's going with it. I really hope that they can work it out because as much as, you know, we used to love Kermit and Piggy together, I really think they work better separately. Good start rooting for Kermit and Leah Thompson. <laughs> we all are. Yes, that's, that's what I want. She makes you marry. Well, Kermit's better than anybody she could. Yeah, Kermit. I mean, I would marry Kermit in a heartbeat. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if that was, if we could actually marry Muppets, he would be the Muppet I'd choose. Yeah, we got to get Congress to pass it. God, they're never going to do that. Muppets don't like Muppets. That's unfortunate. No, they're just douchebags. Oh, Pepe. I'm, oh, I love Pepe. I mean, it would be a tough, I would, I would marry Kermit, but I might have a fling with Pepe. Yes. With Kermit, I would not do it behind Kermit's back. I would, you know, Open marriage. There you go. Yeah. Kid puppets, right? You can get it right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I think that sums up the episode of this week. Again, maybe not the best episode, but still fun. We still enjoy the show. Good. Look forward to more next week. More and bring RuPaul back. And yes, um, yes. also, um, Pache, what is a caramel sommelier? You have a caramel wine expert? I don't know. He just speaks nonsense to me. His mouth moves and all of your energy gibberish. Yeah. Well, his name is Pizza. Right. I mean, it's kind of like being the uh, teacher on the Peanuts go to. Wah, 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 wah. Exactly. Yeah. Trying to turn Pepe against Kermit. That's just wrong. All right. Thanks, Nikki, so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you and Michael on our show. So with that, we're going to move into Kevin Nico come back to talk about our other sitcoms, beginning with the New Girl episode, Wig. Hey, girl. What you doing? Hey, girl. Where you going? Who's that girl? Who's that girl? 
Schmidt and Cece's relationship is impacted by love-struck Nick's attraction to Reagan, so they try to make her appear somewhat less alluring. Meanwhile, Winston schools Reagan in the art of breaking up. I thought this episode of New Girl was weak sauce, compared to the way the earlier episodes of this season came out of the gate. Because that made it really hard to pick a favorite comedic moment for the week, because the things that made me laugh were all lines of dialogue. But some highlights I picked up on were the cutaway to Cece's inability to make the bed, which made Schmidt very angry. Nick getting off topic with Reagan by talking about how he had a 2x4 in his room to do something grunt to build a treehouse. Got Schmidt coming up with the criminal mastermind of the Moyle to help out Regan break out break up with her girlfriend. So Nico, what were your thoughts on this week's episode of New Girl? Agreed, Dan. Once again, they are trying too hard to make Megan Fox's character funny. Some of the off-the-wall comments by Nick and Winston were good this week, and Cece being terrible at Dirty Talk was amusing. But in reality, this was the weakest episode of the season, and they need to set things up to finish out the rest of Megan Fox's time on this series. Otherwise, it's going to just be a complete disaster. I will tell you one thing this experience has shown us, just how amazing and crucial Zoe is as an actress and to this series. So I can't wait for her to be back. Was it only three episodes for Megan Fox? I thought it was five. Uh, that could be bad. I, I, I would advise people, stick with this show. It's going to get better with Zoe. Because the episode she was on this season was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The, the beginning of this episode was great. And even the one episode where she wasn't and they went and did the wedding dress and stuff, that wasn't a terrible episode. I mean, parts of it were terrible, but it wasn't a terrible right. episode. And I think they've, they've done a, a pretty good job, for the most part, of dealing with Zoe's pregnancy and her maternal leave. So I I think, I think we're going to see some good stuff, but it just needs to get to the end of this Megan Fox stuff. Yeah, yeah, they hope people are willing to give the show the benefit of the doubt. Could I get Fox as well? And I think that's the case. I think this may be a show Fox is going to stick with. So with that, we're going to move into a Modern Family episode that I thought was quite hilarious. There were some quotes that cracked me up. Contitled The Funk of the Trunk. <laughs> Jay gets jealous when a life-size cutout of Gloria is used to market her hot sauce in grocery stores. Meanwhile, Mitchell and Cameron go the extra mile for good reviews of their rental property, but their new tenant's behavior makes them suspicious, and Phil adjusts to Claire's role as the breadwinner while she runs her closet business. My favorite comedic moments from this week's Modern Family was Jay getting his comeuppance for the butler dog by taking out an indestructible cardboard cutout of Gloria that he just couldn't destroy by running it over with the car and trying to sink into the lake because it floated back up in a very scary, chilling moment for Jay. I thought that stuff was really funny. Even though I think it could have included the Jaws music to make it even better. I also got a good laugh, kind of how easy it was for Mitchell to destroy his tenant's precious moments, knockoff figurines. Another funny moment as well. So, Nico, what were your thoughts on this week's Modern Family? Yeah, my favorite comedic moments were Phil on the hoverboard wheelie thing when it started going in a circle and he said, it does that. You just have to wait till the battery runs out. I also loved all the ways Jay tried to get rid of the cutout and it just kept coming back to haunt him. The drowning in the lake was a particular favorite yes. of mine. And finally, Phil's sleep hoverboarding and talking on a banana phone that was pretty pretty good as well yeah i got i got a good laugh on all that stuff i mean really just fun episode very lighthearted. i thought when they brought up the hoverboard you know it was going to catch on fire and they're going to yep. make it kind of the be effective yep, they exactly. didn't there. but the spinning around was funny well i thought he was going to fall off it and get hurt yeah because that's the other thing that everybody does i i, I think it might have been almost like a product placement and yeah so they didn't want to rag on it i think so too but it was it was quite hilarious i could have gotten it of course phil dumpy would have one of those good with that we're gonna dive right into i found a really funny it was garbage story but it was laugh out loud episode of the big bang theory entitled the positive negative reaction all started with a big bang
The gang learns Bernadette is pregnant and celebrate by singing karaoke. Meanwhile, Wallowitz freaks out over the pregnancy announcement and becomes convinced he must make more money to provide for the baby. My favorite comedic moments for this week's Big Bang Theory. We're obviously the karaoke performances. Good going into this episode, I thought Sheldon was going to steal the show with his performance, but I think that title went to Raj and Leonard with their renditions of Get Takes Two, Get Push It. I also got a good laugh over Sheldon's response to Howard announcing Bernadette is having a baby, which was, why don't we all go out and get bisectomies? So this doesn't happen to us. Because Leonard realizing it was one of Sheldon's better ideas. Diego, what were your thoughts on this episode of the Big Bang Theory? Yeah, Dan, I enjoyed the karaoke as well, even if maybe it went on one or two songs too long. Yeah. I thought the interaction between Leonard and Sheldon after Howard told them he was going to be a father was pretty great. Sheldon complained about all the things they couldn't do anymore with a child, like comic books, video games, game nights, etc. And Leonard told Sheldon he was just jealous he wouldn't be the only baby in the group anymore. To which Sheldon said, would a baby have to shave every 11 days? To which Leonard responded, would an adult refused to eat his graham crackers because one of them was broken and Sheldon responds I guess it's going to be a draw (laughs) (laughs) pretty good interplay between those two and the vasectomy comments were some of the best lines of the seasons as well so I I thought that was a pretty good uh, just kind of good little idea there on Sheldon's part I I, I thought though too it's funny um, Leonard really surprised me with his karaoke skills (laughs) especially singing the high part of the good takes too that was good stuff but um, I think Ryan Reynolds says it a little bit better if you see the proposal I have so he's, he's quite hilarious in that scene. So with that, we're going to move on to um, the closing of this episode. And next week, we've got another jam-packed show. Yeah, on next week's episode, Dan and I will continue our reviews with the season possible series finale of X-Files, an episode of Walking Dead, Castle, Star Wars Rebels, Michael's review of Supernatural and Sleepy Hollow, and our sitcom section, including New Girl, Muppets, Modern Family, and The Big Bang Theory. Also, DC Nation will continue with the next Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, and DC Legends episode. So make sure to join us for that as well over on the DC Nation podcast. Also, be sure to keep an eye out for Dan, Nikki, and Joshua doing the Marvelverse podcast and their coverage of Agent Carter all season long. But for now, we're going to roll our pre-recorded closing. Get at our Across the Airways podcast network website, acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.com. You can check out all of our podcast shows available as their own individual programs. Get the iTunes store. Get Google Play store. Guys, for the podcast shows, get our network. We have the DC Nation podcast located at dcnation.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's dcnation.acrosstheairways.com. Which reviews popular DC Comics related TV shows and movies. There's also the Marvelverse Podcast, located at marvelversepodcast.acrosstheirways.com Again, that's marvelversepodcast.acrosstheirways.com which reviews Marvel Comics related TV shows and movies. And we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheirways.com Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheirways.com In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airways podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheairways.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes, core Game of Thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Big Bang Theory and The Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, and the mixed radio station, Code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the podcast box app. And if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace. Get the Windows Marketplace as a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Because for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback, got the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow 
follow us on Twitter. Got across their waves. There's no thought there. It's just across their waves. Join our circle. Guy Google Plus. Go leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-3363. Could get it. 773-809-3363. Also, when sending us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Give the subject line. Give you our sending us listener feedback you want us to read. Got the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies, get television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. All right, so once again for our fantastic other KTA podcast hosts, Vicky Amy, Wu Kim, Steve Nastro, Joshua Mercury, Ken Michael J. Petty, I'm Dan Schmitz, and I'm Nico Rostek. And until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airways. See you guys, can remember, look out for Astro Zombies. The truth is out there. Now return to our regularly scheduled program.